Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Thank you that you speak to us. And I pray, Lord, this morning, as I preach, you would speak through me and you would speak to each of us, that we would hear your encouragements, but we'd also hear your challenges, and you would change us to make us more Christ-like this morning. For your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, Jason preached on the identity of Jesus Christ. And he preached from Matthew chapter 9. And he he taught us, uh, or the Bible taught us, that Jesus is not just a miracle worker, but he is the Son of God with the authority to forgive sins, one who is worthy of your worship. So Jesus is doing these amazing miracles. He's healing the sick. He's um, driving, casting out demons. And he has authority to do those things. He has the, we've sung, he's the way maker and the miracle worker. We believe that Jesus Christ is mighty to do those amazing miracles. But he also is the son of God with the authority to forgive sins who is worthy of our worship. So last week we were thinking all about the identity of Jesus Christ. This week, I want us to think about our identity. I want you to think about who you are before God. You know, when you introduce yourself to someone, how do you introduce yourself? Who do you, who do you think you are? What's your identity? And particularly, I mean, maybe when you introduce yourself to someone, you don't introduce them as your identity before God. But I want you to think about what your identity before God is this morning. And in order to start to think about answering that question, we're going to read the next section in Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. Matthew 9, 9 to 13. The words should appear on the screen behind me. Perfect. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a story that Matthew tells about himself. Matthew is the Matthew in the story. So Matthew is writing about himself in third person. You know, that weird thing that sometimes people do. Sometimes in sermons I talk about myself in third person, and I always think, why are you doing that, Duncan? That's very strange. But Matthew, in the Gospel, is writing about himself in the third person. And he tells a story about himself. And as he tells the story about himself, we get a glimpse into what Matthew thinks about himself, what identity Matthew um, uses when he thinks about himself. And so we're going we're to see what Matthew thinks about his identity, and at the same time we're going to think about our own identity before God. So firstly, we get a no-frills conversion story about Matthew in verse 9. You know, one verse Matthew dedicates to his conversion story, and it's Jesus walking past, Jesus says, follow me, and Matthew gets up and follows him. There's no frills in the story, it's just bang, 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 this is what happened. 
One minute Matthew is sitting at a tax booth being a tax collector. The next minute he's following Jesus Christ. Immediate transformation that happens in his life. Then, in verses 10 to 13, Jesus is having dinner. And the tradition is, amongst all the biblical scholars, Christians through the ages have believed that what happened is Matthew just invited Jesus around for dinner. And at the same time, Matthew also invited his tax collector and his sinner friends, and they all came around for dinner, which is an amazing way of doing evangelism, by the way. Matthew is the great inviter. He, he thinks, I'm not, I've only just started following Jesus. I'm probably not qualified to tell my, my tax collector and sinner friends um, the gospel, although he was because he had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked in him, so he followed Jesus Christ. But he thinks the best thing I can possibly do is have Jesus around for dinner, then invite all my tax collector friends and all my sinner friends, and we can all sit around and have dinner, and they'll all listen to Jesus. Inviting is a really powerful way of doing evangelism. Inviting, that's all, we, that's all we do as evangelists, as Christians, is invite others to come and meet Jesus. Um, so I, I, I just want to, that's kind of an aside, that's a challenge for you this morning. Are you good at inviting people? Uh, when was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you invited to, uh, someone that you might pray for them in order to introduce them to Jesus in prayer? Are you an inviter? Are you someone who gets to know people and kind of gets them round for dinner and so on and so forth in order that they might meet Jesus Christ. What's really fascinating to me about this dinner described in Matthew chapter 9 is this. It's the way Matthew describes the people who are at the dinner. Look at verse 10. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus. So Matthew, who was a tax collector has a pair. He puts tax collectors and sinners together as a pair in this way. In the, he's written the story, and the way he chooses to tell the story is to take tax collectors and sinners and put them right next to each other. There's no difference in Matthew's mind between the tax collectors and the They're the same. They're one group of people. They belong together. Now, if you were a Jew living in Israel under Roman occupation you probably would agree very much with Matthew's pairing. You see, tax collectors were Jewish people who had taken a job with the Roman Empire to collect money from the Jews and take it and give it to the Romans. And so tax collectors in this Jewish society were seen as traitors. That The Romans were foreign invaders and the Jews in Israel, they were the people who really should who really belong in the land. And so Matthew, as a tax collector, has betrayed his people by working for the Romans. Taking money is the opposite of Robin Hood, in a sense. Taking money from the Jews and giving it to the Romans. And so if you're a Jewish person reading this story, you see tax collectors and sinners, you say, absolutely, 100%. The tax collectors are the worst of sinners because they take my money and give it to my enemy. But it's one thing for a Jew to think that. And it's another thing for Matthew to write about himself in this way, isn't it? There's a humility here in the way Matthew's telling the story. He's saying, he's saying in this narrative, I was a tax collector. I was sat at the tax booth and tax collectors and sinners go together. And so I was a tax collector. I was a sinner. 
That's the identity Matthew's owning in this passage. The way he tells this conversion story and the way he tells this story, he's saying to the world, he's writing it down and he's preaching it to others and he's telling as many people as he possibly can, I was a sinner, I was a tax collector. Then in verse 12, Matthew owns another identity. Jesus speaks in verse 12, and Jesus says in verse 12, it's sick people who need a physician. It's sick people who need a doctor. And and you see, when Matthew uses the word sick people, he's describing the sinners and the tax collectors who he's having dinner with. So Matthew, in this narrative, in Matthew chapter 9, is telling everyone who reads Matthew's gospel, and over the many, many years, there's been lots and lots of people who've read this gospel, and Matthew tells every single one of them, I was a sinner, I was a tax collector, I was a sick person in need of a doctor. My first point this morning is this. Every human being needs to come to a place like Matthew where they realise they are a sinner in need of a saviour. They are a sick person in need of a doctor. You might not be a tax collector this morning. I don't think we've got any tax collectors. I wish we did, that would be fun. Um, if anyone wants to apply to be a tax collector, Jason, you're probably closest working for the council, no? <laughs> we don't have any tax collectors. But if, so none of us are tax collectors, but we are all sinners in need of a saviour, sick people in need of a doctor. You know, this week, I found myself praying often this week that God would give me a pure heart. I've been praying to God in my own quiet times, Lord, give me a pure heart. Matthew said, or Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount recorded by Matthew, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So I've been praying for a pure heart. Why have I been praying for a pure heart? Because I've recognised that my heart is impure. I've seen that so often my love isn't pure love for others. There's selfish ambition. There's, there's conceitedness within my heart. There's a pride. There's something in my heart which isn't pure. It's not pure love for others. It's ambition. And, and see, even, and this is, I mean, even sometimes the way I love my wife is, is in this selfish way, hoping that she would love me and I'd receive from her and it would be fantastic. And so even my love for my wife is impure in many ways. I mean, I love her dearly. She's absolutely wonderful. But sometimes my love for her is selfish. Sometimes my love for her is impure. In other words, the reason I'm praying for a pure heart is because I'm sick. My heart is sick. It's not right. I need a doctor. I need someone to cure what's going on in my heart. And if you're honest with yourselves, I wonder whether you would say the same about you. There's something that's impure in your heart. There's something that needs changing in your heart. And the thing is, I can't do surgery on my own heart. You know, I'm not going to try it. It would be a silly thing to do, to get knives out and, and, you know, start doing surgery on my own. But there is one who can do surgery on your heart. His name is Jesus Christ. That's my first point. Let me me ask you this morning, have you come to a place like Matthew where you realise you're a sinner who needs a saviour and a sick person who needs a doctor? And if you've never come to that place, and if you never come to that place in your life, you will never receive the glorious salvation 
and saving love of Christ. It's only someone who knows they need a, who know they need a saviour who cries out to Jesus Christ for salvation. And so if you never come to that place of thinking, your, thinking of yourself as a sick person who needs a doctor, you will never receive healing from the great physician, Jesus Christ. My first point this morning. My second point this morning is Jesus in this passage is the one who reclines with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is the one who eats, who has fellowship with sinners and tax collectors. You can see it plainly in verses 10, 11 and 12. Jesus eats, even reclines at the dinner table, surrounded by Matthew's tax collector and sinner friends. It's a wonderful picture. I want you to picture it in your head, these these sinners and tax collectors all having dinner and Jesus sitting there, eating, drinking, conversing with them. Jesus is the one who reclines with sinners and tax collectors. This is wonderful news. This is wonderful news. This is astonishing news that Jesus would recline with sinners and tax collectors here in Matthew chapter 9. And that means when we're honest with ourselves and admit that we are sinners and we are sick people in need of a doctor, Jesus wants to have fellowship and relationship with us. He wants to recline with us. Now, do you remember where we come from in the last few weeks of Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9? Jesus has been revealed as the one with authority over sickness and disease. He's been revealed as the one who has authority to command the wind and the waves, and the wind and the waves obey him. He's the one with the authority to cast out a legion of demons into a herd of pigs. He's the one with authority to forgive sins. This same Jesus, this one with unrivaled authority in Matthew chapter 9, God himself, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the holy, holy, holy one, reclines with sinners and has dinner with tax collectors. I just want that to wash over you just for a moment. That love of Christ, that that condescension of Jesus in coming to be with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus comes to be with you. That's that's what we're seeing in action here. Jesus coming to be with sinners and therefore we can say 2,000 years later, Jesus wants to come and be with us, recline with us. Now don't jump to the application at this point because I know some of you will already be thinking this in your heads and your hearts. Some of you are already thinking, well if Jesus ate with sinners, then I've got to go and do the same. I've got to go and associate with sinners. I've got to go and be with them. And you're not wrong. We do need to follow Christ's example. We do need to build relationships with those who are not Christians in order that we might introduce them to Jesus Christ. But I don't want us to jump to the application because if you jump to the application, then you're immediately thinking about other people as sinners and tax collectors. And I want us to think of ourselves as sinners and tax collectors and receive from Jesus in this moment. Just br- just briefly, don't, don't jump to the immediate application. Otherwise, you're, you're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. I want you to just, this is a moment for receiving Jesus for thanking him, for being filled with gratitude in your heart right now, because he wants to recline with you. He wants to recline with you. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. And yet Jesus wants to recline with you and me. He wants a relationship with you and me. I I do not know how to preach this in a fresh way 
So it overwhelms us with the wonder and glory and gratitude that it should overwhelm us with. Jesus Christ wants to know you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be with you. He wants to recline with you. It's just this amazing truth that we take for granted as Christians. We've heard it before. It's boring. No, it's wonderful. It's amazing. The King of Heaven wants to be in relationship with you. With me. But now another impure thought comes into my mind. If only Jesus were physically here now, wouldn't that be good? If I could genuinely sit at the dinner table with Jesus Christ, that would be way better than my experience now, wouldn't it? That would that would be so good if I could genuinely have lunch with Jesus after church this morning. And you're right, that would be good, but that is not a correct biblical thought. If you're thinking that would be better than what we have now then you've misunderstood something in Scripture. Remember in John 16, verse 7, where Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is your, to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. You see, what that thought that I've just expressed is an impure, impure thought because I haven't realised the wonder and the glory of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, coming to be with me and with every Christian in the here and now. I'm underplaying the spiritual reality of my relationship with Christ, for the Holy Spirit dwells in my heart. I don't need to invite Jesus round for dinner, because the Holy Spirit is with me wherever I go. I can do all of life with Jesus reclining in my heart, for the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is here. He dwells in us, Christians. And we can recline with him wherever we go. We can listen to him and speak to him through prayer and through reading the Bible. The the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. And so as we read, God speaks to us. And not just speaks to us in words on a page, but speaks to our hearts. As Chris was praying earlier during our time of prayer. And so in all things. And not just prayer and Bible reading, those are kind of the holy Christian discipline things, but even when I'm going for a walk, even when I'm having lunch later on, even I'm going kayaking later on this afternoon, even while I'm kayaking, Jesus will be reclining with me on the water through his Holy Spirit in my heart. So Christian, the true application of this text is to say, are you reclining with Christ through the Holy Spirit who abides in you? Or like many, are you too busy? We get caught up, don't we, in working and earning money, playing games, watching movies and TV and sports, doing housework. We we get caught up in all these things, none of which are bad things in and of themselves. But if our focus is entirely directed on those things and not on enjoying Jesus who is with us in those moments as we do those things, then we're missing out big time. Can you imagine if Jesus, we did have a dinner table here, Jesus came and sat down and we spent the whole time focused entirely on the food and not on Jesus Christ who was sat with you having dinner. I mean, firstly, that'd be really rude. And secondly, can you, you'd be missing out on all the things he's saying. Well, we do life like that. We go through life so busy, ignoring Jesus Christ, ignoring the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go, we're missing out. 
There's something glorious here. There's something wonderful here. Jesus reclines with sinners. Jesus wants to recline with you. And he's in your heart. He's dwelling in your heart. And you're ignoring him. You're ignoring the spiritual presence of Christ in your heart. And I want us to know that relationship with Jesus Christ is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And to do life with him is an absolute joy. And so I'm preaching to myself here. I want to stop being too busy to realise that Jesus is with me in all things that I do. And that doesn't actually sometimes mean I need to stop doing those things. I just need to be aware of Jesus' presence by the Holy Spirit as I live my life. Jesus reclines with sinners and tax collectors. Join him at the table. Sit down with him in prayer. Do not neglect this sweet, sweet joy of doing all of life with Jesus Christ. That's my second point. Jesus reclines with sinners and tax collectors like you and me. My third point is this. Jesus is the great physician. Imagine you went to the doctors with an ear infection, um, which I did a couple of months ago. And um, you, you, you visit the doctor and um, they get some dinner out on the table in the doctor's surgery and just have dinner with you, maybe a glass of wine, and they just, they just serve you some food. It'd be quite nice, actually, to be honest, like just a bit of free food with the doctor. Um, it'd, be, it'd be good fun. Um, but then after we finish dinner, the doctor goes, right, thanks for coming in, off you go, back home again. You would say, I didn't come here to have dinner, thank you very much for dinner. I came here to have my ear checked out and you haven't done anything about it. You haven't told me what's wrong. You haven't given me any drugs or anything like that. You I don't know why well, I, I got some steroids actually for my ear. It's all fine now. Anyway, the doctor had done nothing to help me in that instance. He just had dinner with me. Um, Jesus does not simply recline at table with sinners and tax collectors. He rescues them. He heals them. He transforms their life. Think of Matthew in verse 9. He was there at the tax booth being a tax collector and then Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. His entire life in a moment, in an instant, is transformed. So Jesus doesn't just want to recline with you and dwell with you and have a relationship with you. He wants to transform your life. He wants to heal you of your sin. He wants to take our impure hearts and make them pure by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to change us from one degree of glory to another. He wants to sanctify us over time throughout our life that one day we would be presented blameless in the presence of God, our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't just recline with us. He transforms us. Do you know this? I've spoken a lot about being a sinner in terms of identity this morning. But do you know this? There's only one occasion in the Bible where a Christian is called a sinner. Only one. It's Paul talking about himself in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, where he says, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. It is in the present tense. So Paul does speak of himself as a sinner. But it's once in this whole book, a Christian is called a sinner. Do you know the title that is given to Christians in this book over and over and over again? It's the title Saint. And so when you think of your identity, if you are a Christian, if you're one who's put your faith in Jesus Christ, if Jesus reclines with you by the power of, your, of the Holy Spirit this morning, you are a saint. 
you know, in Catholicism, saints are the super Christians. They're the ones who do all the great works. They're the ones who do amazing miracles. They're the ones who pray the most. They're the ones who fast the longest. They're the ones, you know, in Catholicism, the saints are the super Christians. Well, that's not biblical Christianity. Because in biblical Christianity, every Christian is a saint. The reason they're a saint is because they have been healed by Jesus Christ, the great physician. He doesn't just recline with us. He changes us and transforms us. He gives us this new identity as saints. The healing process was a tough one, though. Jesus, the great physician, in order to transform us, takes our place upon the cross. He dies in our place. There's a spiritual exchange that takes place on the cross. Jesus takes our sinful sickness upon himself and the disease kills him, takes him to the grave. And in, in place, Jesus gives us his wellness, his healthiness, his, his righteousness. So we receive healthiness in God, in the presence of God, we are made well. We don't need to self-isolate because we've been brought into the, the kingdom. I mean, we do need to physically self-isolate at this time. But in the kingdom of God, in a spiritual sense, we are not self-isolating from God because we've been declared healthy by our faith in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith. And so we can have relationship with God and Jesus takes upon himself our disease and dies on the cross. Hallelujah, he does not remain in the grave. He rises in glory so that all who believe in him not only receive this healthiness, but a forgiveness of sin, but also receive eternal life. And all of us are transformed by this amazing work of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, when the Holy Spirit dwells in the heart, he takes the past work of Jesus Christ, he takes Jesus' death, and he applies it to your life and transforms you by the power of the Spirit that you become a saint. This is why we love Jesus. He died for us to cure us. He's the great physician. He's mighty to heal and if you're not a Christian here this morning, I would urge you, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be transformed by the great doctor. He is the only one who can save you from your sin. He is the only one who can heal you and bring you into eternal life. And so as I draw to a close, I want us to think about the Pharisees in this story. You know, there are some of you here this morning who do not know Christ. And so in that sense, like the Pharisees, you're looking at Jesus eating with, with the Christians in the room. You're looking at Jesus at the table thinking, why is he hanging out with them? And maybe you've come here this morning and you're looking around the room thinking, why does Jesus love this lot? You know, that's sometimes what I think when I come to church. I'm joking, I love you all. But you might be thinking, why does Jesus love this lot? You know what? It's not because we're good people. It's definitely not because we're good people. It's the opposite. It's because we were sinners and Christ was the doctor who came to make the sick well. And so if you're outside looking in thinking, why does Jesus love this lot? I'd encourage you. 
Be like Matthew. Get up from your tax booth this morning and follow Jesus. He wants to eat with you as well. He wants to love you. He wants to transform you. He wants to bring you to great places. He wants to take your sin, your sickness upon himself that you might be healed and that you might have life everlasting. If you're not a Christian, put your faith in Jesus Christ and follow him now and forever. But there are some of us Christians in the room who also need to be challenged this morning because you've become proud and judgmental like the Pharisees in this story. We need to be bluntly reminded that Jesus died for us while we were still far off. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Jesus died for us when we were sick, disease-ridden, destined for death and destruction, and he came to die for us and rescue us into eternal life. And so we need to rejoice. We, we did not deserve that glorious invitation. We did not deserve the glorious salvation that Jesus has won for us. He came to us to bring us into relationship with himself. And let that humble us. Let that humble us this morning. Because we need to stop excluding others because of their sin, background, manner of life. We need to start, like Jesus, befriending others, building relationships with them, that we might invite them to sit and meet the great physician. I wonder whether there are people in your life who you've ruled out from ever becoming a Christian because they've done something terrible or they're just not the right fit. Maybe you're very middle class, as lots in the church are, and they're not middle class and you think Jesus wouldn't possibly save them. Well, you need to wake up and realise that that's not true. Jesus is the one who reclines with sinners. And all of us in this room were there once. We've been made, we've been transformed by Jesus Christ into saints. And we need to be like Christ, reaching out to others. You know, in, in, um, verse, in verse 12, no, sorry, verse 13, Jesus says, you need to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, what he's saying there is sacrifice becomes a, a picture. So in, in the Old Testament, the Jews would make sacrifices. They would sacrifice animals in order to be made right with God. And the sacrifice serves in that verse as a metaphor for outward obedience. You, you do the sacrifice outwardly so that you kind of, it was an instruction from God, but it's an outward act that looks good in front of others as well as being obedient to God. And what Jesus is saying, he's quoting Hosea 6, verse 6, and he's saying God actually desires an attitude of heart which is merciful rather than an outward work of sacrifice. What goes on inside, in your heart, is more important than the outward work. And what the Pharisees were doing is obeying everything outwardly. They were doing all the sacrifices that God had commanded. They were obeying lots of the commands that God had given them in the Old Testament. They were doing it outwardly but their hearts were a long, long way from God. And Jesus is saying to them, God desires of you to be merciful, for God is merciful. Your heart needs to be merciful towards others, and that is more important than the outward obedience to the Old Testament commands. And so we need to be the same as Christians. You know, maybe you're outwardly an excellent Christian. You go to church every week, or you watch online every week. You pray at the prayer meetings. Maybe you read your Bible when others are watching. Maybe, maybe you have all the words to write, 
all the right words to say. You've got great Bible knowledge, perhaps. You're an outward Christian, but your heart is a long way from God. And one of the most primary ways this will manifest itself is where you're not merciful and loving towards people who are a long way off. Because when you draw, when, when you start to not be in relationship with God in a close sense, you start to become proud. And you start to think, I've earned my salvation, I've earned God's love, and you're so wrong. You're so wrong. Because what the Bible teaches is that we were sinners. We were metaphorical tax collectors. We were the sick in need of a physician. And Jesus came to recline with us and to heal us. And therefore, each and every one of us must be humble and merciful towards others. I would love it if the people of Fareham would say of Christchurch Fareham, man, those guys just love everyone. They're merciful towards everyone. They care about everyone. Yeah, we preach the truth. We preach the, we're not, we're not going to shy away from preaching what is true and in the Bible. But in the way we, we treat others, we're always reaching out, even to people who are very different from ourselves. That is the picture of Christianity that Jesus wants us to live out according to Matthew chapter 9. And so I hope and pray this morning that all of us will once again be overwhelmed and transformed by the deep compassion of Jesus Christ for sinners like you and me. He loves you. He wants to recline with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. Would you do all of life in relationship with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit? And I pray out of that knowing Jesus with us always, out of knowing Jesus' great compassion, we too would love others as Christ has loved sinners and tax collectors. Let's stand and I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we confess today that we do not deserve your love. We, like Matthew, were sinners, were sick people in need of a doctor, and you, in your love and mercy, came to us. You came to earth in order to die for us on the cross. You rose again to new life, and you pour out the Holy Spirit. You you drew near to us that we might come near to you. We are not worthy of that, and we thank you so much for that truth. Thank you for loving us when we were still far off. Thank you for dying for us when we were still far off. Thank you for saving us. And Lord, I just pray you would remind us again where we've come from as Christians. That we might be humble, and that we might be compassionate towards others. And Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd place a burning love and compassion in each of our hearts for you, but also for others who are a long way off right now, Lord God. Put people on our hearts right now by the power of the Spirit, people who we need to start building relationships with, people we need to start loving and caring for. Change us, Lord God, that we might invite these people to come and eat dinner with you, Lord God. We long for this 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 church to grow as people on the outside, the the fringes of society uh, are brought in to meet with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you transform the most ridiculous people in the sense, Lord, the people who we think that person couldn't possibly be saved, but you are a God who transforms. You're the great physician. No one is too far gone for you to heal, Lord God. And so I pray you would start doing miracles in people's lives. 
our friends and family, that they might come and believe and trust in Jesus Christ and be healed by you, the great doctor, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your compassion. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.